G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the Anglican ministers in Dolby. If you'd like to learn more about our church, then please visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's teaching comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, and it's part of a wider series that we're doing at church called Dealing with Divisions. Here, Paul is dealing with divisions in status. And he deals with these divisions by comparing man's wisdom to God's wisdom and also bringing us back to who we are in Christ and all Jesus has done for us. I hope you enjoy the sermon. God bless. The first reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the fullness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A wealthy colonial American once asked his Anglican rector if salvation could be found outside the Church of England. The rector wrestled with this question because he knew the answer is yes, but he didn't want his elite parishioner to be socialising with just any Christian riffraff of all sorts. So after thinking about the question, he replied, Sir, the possibility about which you inquire exists, but no gentleman would avail himself of it. This rector was trying to make sure his church member didn't make friends with the other Christians by appealing to his sense of class. Today we've come to a point in 1 Corinthians where we'll see divisions along the lines of class exist. We'll also see how the Bible deals with divisions and exposes how shallow and unhelpful these divisions are. Last week, we saw how cracks in the community were beginning to form around certain leaders. 
Some people were saying they followed Paul, some Apollos and some Peter. They were also forming fan clubs around the person who baptised them and who was the best preacher. To deal with these divisions, Paul keeps drawing his readers not back to himself, but to Jesus. And he reminds us in chapter 1 verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christians are Christians, people who are in Christ. While many in Corinth saw the message of the cross as foolishness, some had found hope, community and salvation in Jesus. Small house churches began popping up around Corinth. Remember, this was a minor miracle because Corinth was an upwardly mobile city. 200 years before Paul wrote this letter, the Romans had leveled the old Greek city, only to rebuild it 100 years later with freed slaves and poor folk. From these beginnings, people began to gain money, power and reputations. The Corinthians became good at keeping up with the Joneses and this was beginning to creep into the church. Much like our American clergyman appealing to his parishioners' sense of status, the lust for respectability in Corinthian culture was beginning to matter in the church, creating division. So how does Paul deal with the divisions found in verses 18 to 31? Well, this morning I only have two points. Paul compared man's wisdom to God's foolishness in verses 18 to 25. And two, he reminds us that God chooses the foolishness of this world to shame the wise in verses 26 to 31. Verses 18 to 25 are a bit funny because in order to show up man's wisdom, Paul uses some wise words. Now, the Bible is an anti-wisdom and pro-stupidity. There is a great wisdom tradition in the Bible. You only need to look at the book of Proverbs and see its practical wisdom or the book of Ecclesiastes and see its philosophical wisdom to realize that God values wisdom more than gold. The Greeks also had their great philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras and Socrates, giants in the worlds of mathematics, science and philosophy. Paul had grown up a Jew in a Greek city called Tarsus. So he understands Jewish and Greek wisdom traditions and used his knowledge to tell others about Jesus. So if he's not saying foolishness is good and wisdom is bad, what is he saying? Well, let's look at the text. Look with me at verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul begins here by asking, where have the wise people gone? It's a rhetorical question because they're still around. There were plenty of scholars and philosophers in Corinth, but very few of them would have found Jesus appealing. Jesus didn't have a PhD and he didn't go to a good school. He wasn't even from a good family. Paul's argument here is that the cross has shown up the scholars and philosophers of this age by revealing God's wisdom. Sadly, some in this church were trying to make themselves look more respectable by posing as scholars and philosophers. This was a great way to get ahead in Corinth, 
But it's a horrible way to behave in a church and it's creating division. It's also possible that some were trying to make Christianity look better. Perhaps in debating scholars and philosophers, they were trying to build up a picture of Jesus as a wise sage, a view that's very fashionable today. While Jesus is wise and his teachings like the Sermon on the Mount offer incredible wisdom, Jesus is much more than a wise teacher. It's become trendy to lump Jesus in the same baskets as Gandhi, Oprah and Koshi. But this line of thinking has one fatal flaw. In making Jesus our life coach, we take him from being king of our lives to being our servant. Scholars and philosophers have been around since the dawn of time, but their wisdom has proved powerless to save us from our ultimate problem, sin. Human wisdom has brought us fire, steel, and the splitting of the atom. But it's also brought us war, corruption, and the atomic bomb. Worldly wisdom has made us cleverer, but it hasn't solved our sin problem. Science and technology are great servants, but they're horrible masters. Paul's point here is that man's wisdom can't save us. Only God can. God is pleased to save us through the foolishness of the cross. God is all too pleased to reveal himself to us and save us. We don't need to logic our way there. All we need to do is humble ourselves and receive this wonderful gift. While people desperately try to save themselves through worldly wisdom, Jesus comes into our world and shows us how to live and becomes the way back to God. Sadly, the proud, those who saw themselves as wise, were threatened by Jesus, so they killed him. The church often goes down this same path, letting the wisdom of the world dominate our thinking, taking off our Jesus glasses and putting on our worldly ones. Verse 22 highlights the problem with this. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Jews look for signs and wonders to prove their power. They had people like Moses who split the sea and Elijah who called down fire from heaven to put their trust in. The Greeks had wise philosophers to fall back on. If things didn't match their logic, then they weren't worth accepting. This is why the message of Christianity was so confusing and infuriating for many in Corinth. Christianity wasn't highbrow and good-looking like other ancient philosophies. Jews and Greeks both knew that heroes didn't die on crosses. An ancient piece of graffiti discovered in Rome shows how people look down on Christians. It depicts a man with the head of an ass on a cross with the inscription, Alexamenos worships his God. Some in the church were getting tired of being made fun of. Some in the church were trying to make Christianity more respectable and gain respect for themselves. In trying to make Christianity cool, they had to downplay Jesus' death. Scholars today do the same. They call the stories of the Bible myths and talk about how Jesus didn't die for our sins, he died because of his politics. Then they deny the resurrection and claim that Jesus just rose again in our hearts, trying to make Christianity more acceptable or respectable or easier for a sceptical world to swallow 
always creates division because it's totally against Jesus' message. The apostles' preaching and the Bible's teaching. Verse 23 says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. As Christians, we can often feel like fools in the world. Think about how public Christian figures are often branded as stupid, hateful, and backward. On TV and in books, Christians are branded as ignorant, superstitious, or just flat-out foolish for believing in Jesus. But friends, I would rather be on the right side of God than on the right side of public opinion. God created the universe and his foolishness is wiser than the best worldly wisdom. There's a story about some scientists who put some soil together, chucked some water in, zapped it a couple of times and a life form emerged. They called God up and said, hey God, we made life. We're as smart as you now. The response came back from God calmly. Okay, next time get your own dirt. Paul shows up those who use man's wisdom to gain status by comparing it to God's foolishness. Jesus and the cross look stupid today, but that's no reason to shy away from it. For us, it is the power to save. Commentator Brian Rosner writes, It is Paul's contention throughout this section that those whose perspective is centred on the cross find the ultimate solution to factionalism. The second section of this passage then appeals to us stories to remind us how God works through weakness. Point two, God chose the weak things. Look with me at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He's right. The church in Corinth may have had rich people like Chloe, who we heard about last week, in it. But remember, Corinth was a town of freed slaves and poor folk. But here they're trying to make themselves look sophisticated. They're trying to become somebody's by their own merit. Here Paul reminds them of their humble beginnings. The Corinthians are looking for something to boast in, a way to make themselves look better. But this exposes their lack of confidence in their identity in Christ and their desperate need for affirmation. The fact that class warfare is brewing in the church is insane because Jesus preached real equality. Jesus didn't come as a wise sage, genius philosopher or powerful tyrant. Jesus didn't come... As a despot, Jesus came as a suffering servant. God chose this way because he refuses to use his power to dominate or manipulate. God works through love. And love is always vulnerable. In trying to make themselves look better, some Christians are forgetting that our all-powerful God is also a God who comes down. A God who makes himself weak so that we might be strengthened 
Our God is not a people pleaser. He is a sovereign saviour God. Look at verse 28. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boasting may make you feel good, but it causes division everywhere. Boasting is a method of self-elevation. And we often teach our kids not to boast, but we do it all the same. If my job is the most important reality for me, then I'm going to talk to everyone about the work I do and how thankful my bosses are for me. If the most important reality in my life is my kids, then I'm going to tell you story after story about their achievements and the funny things they're doing at daycare. Ministers are terrible at this because when we get together, we boast and brag about our congregations or the wonderful ministries we're starting or how much better our church has managed since we took on the role. It's easy to identify what others boast in, but can you identify what you boast in? It's important that we ask ourselves this question. Do I boast in the Lord or in something else? Is God the most important reality in my life or is it something else? This week I received the results from the church life survey we did in November. We'll be looking into the results more in our vision day uh, night this weekend. But it was really encouraging to see that many people responded that God is the most important reality in my life. What this tells us is that many of us are already boasting in the Lord. And I'm inspired to keep growing this church so that more of us can boast about God's goodness. And so others might boast about what Jesus has done for them too. Verse 30 reminds us that our righteousness, holiness and redemption come from God. Righteousness means our right standing before God. In our sin nature, we cannot stand before God because God is holy and none of us are perfect. Jesus came as a weak human being like you and me, but he lived a perfect life and passed his right standing before God onto us at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In making us righteous, Jesus makes us holy. Holy, as I've said before, is about being set aside for a particular purpose. It's not that we are holier than now and separated from the rest of the world. Instead, God brings us out of our godless state and brings us into his kingdom and gives us a mission and a purpose in the world. As Jesus gathered a group of friends who learned his way of life and then sent them back into the world to make a difference in his name. So we are being called today to follow Jesus and complete his work here on earth. Finally, Jesus has given us redemption. The word here for redemption comes from the slave trade. A slave's friend or relative could pay a sum of money, a ransom, to buy or redeem their freedom. The slave master then no longer had any hold on them. 
Jesus became weak and gave his life willingly on the cross so that sin, the devil and hell would have no power or claim on those who are in Christ. So we might walk freely into the loving arms of Jesus who redeems us. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus today, then you are a blood-bought child of God. This should be your only boast. And as you boast in God, you will find complete security, wholeness, and joy. To conclude, I want to share a quote with you from another old Christian letter. It's called the Epistle to Diognetes. It sums up better than I can how to apply this part of the letter. It describes the power of weakness and how as Christians we are to let Christ, rather than the world around us, inform how we live. The world's wisdom is not nearly as powerful as God's wisdom because God chose the weak things of this world to shame the wise and to bring hope and redemption to the world. This quote illustrates for me the power of weakness. It says this, They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they are in all things with others and yet endure things as if foreigners. Every fallen land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are as citizens of heaven. They are prescribed, they obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it up in all, all in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. Friends, may this be true of us. May we become the soul of the world. Power through weakness. Amen.